I thank you for this opportunity. Um, I have a video I would like to share with you today. I think it captures what it means to put others first. In a small town in the middle of Washington state, on a field inside a chain-linked fence, in a game fewer than a hundred people saw. A home run memorable not for the distance it traveled, or the game it decided, but for the meaning it carried. The last Saturday in April, the second game of a softball doubleheader between Central Washington and Western Oregon. Well, we were both neck and neck fighting for the conference championship. As a senior, this was Sarah Tukolsky's last chance to win a championship. She'd never hit a home run before, not in college, not in her life. A 5-2, I'm not very tall. Um, I, I'm more a line drive hitter. I don't hit for power. But in the top of the second inning, with two runners on, on the second pitch, that changed. I hit that pitch and it just went. <laughs> and we're just cheering and the runners are cheering as they round the base to head to home. And then I'm going, where's Sarah? In her excitement, Tukolsky failed to touch first base, so she quickly turned back. Her pivoting leg just didn't pivot with her. And I heard her kind of yell, and she just dropped to the ground, and I was like, oh no. Just fell immediately and was in a lot of pain. Just, you know, I tried to keep my leg straight, but I was in so much pain that I couldn't really keep still. Tukolsky, with a torn ACL, crawled back to first base. She was a long way from reaching home plate and keeping her first and only home run. When she got back to first base, she just, she laid there and she hugged on to first base. And then I, at that time, I was staring at the base and I go, what on earth are we going to do? And I turned the umpire standing right next to me. I said, what is the ruling if I put somebody in for Sarah? He said, it'll be a two-run single. If anybody would have on her team would have helped uh, Sarah, she would have been a called, called out. That was the problem. None of Tukolsky's teammates were allowed to touch her. That's when Central Washington's Mallory Holtman, a player with more home runs than any other in conference history, a player for the opposing team, spoke up. I went to the home plate umpire and asked if we could pick her up and carry her, and he looked at me a little strange. And the umpire went and said, yes, you can do that. I'm still standing there in shock. I don't, I said, thank you so much. We asked her, so like, is it okay if we pick you up and carry you around the bases? And I say, yes, and you know, and say thank you. And she says, you hit the ball over the fence, you deserve it. For that reason only, because she deserved it, Holtman and Wallace began to carry the injured Tukolsky, stopping to touch her left foot on each base as the three made their way around the diamond. We actually started laughing because we were just wondering what this would look like to all the people in the stands. When I looked up, I, I didn't see, you know, giant, like, 
smiles and screams, I saw emotion and tears and, and people crying. It's a great moment when someone has character to step up and do the right thing at the right time. It's emotional. You're proud. Be associated with those kids. That's the first home run of the season for number eight, Sarah Tikolsky. The fact is, you know, I I made my goal. I hit a home run, and um, yeah, it's my last at bat of my career. But I, you know, made my goal, so I'm proud of myself. Mallory Holtman, Liz Wallace, and the Central Washington team lost the game that day, 4-2. to two. Sarah Tukolsky lost the rest of her season and her career to a knee injury. But for the spirit of sportsmanship, a greater victory, made on a long trot around the bases, a trip that truly touched them all. I have a lot of respect for her and put her in high regards, um, her and her teammates. And, you know, I can't thank her enough. Tom Rinaldi reporting. Yesterday, the final day of the season, Western Oregon won its first conference championship in softball in school history, and it will compete in the Division II regional playoffs later this week. One other note, beyond being linked forever by that home run, Sarah, Mallory, and Liz share something else in common. All three players, academic first team in the Great Northwest Athletic Conference. Thank you, Nick. So you want first place is the title of the sermon today. And I want to share a story of when I was first place focused. I can remember times as a kid would try and be first in line for something, whether it was the water fountain, lunch line, even the fire drill, or anything else that could potentially have a first in line. I can also tell you that the being first mentality carried straight through to high school. I love the fact that my first name starts with an A. So if we got picked for something and they went with the alphabet as the picking order, I was looking good for going first. And if they went with the last name, I was all set with the letter B. Back then, I would cringe when I was in a class with an Ann or an Adam, because I was in competition with them. <clears throat> because I enjoyed second grade so much, I repeated it. <laughs> but I was also a shoe-in for the order of age. I was all set to be first place. Now, fast forward to high school. The wanting to be first didn't go away. When coach picked the captains, it was always had a metric that was in my favor. If I didn't get picked as the captain, I was first to be picked as a team in the order of the teams. For instance, being the tallest. Maybe because I found out that I enjoyed seventh grade so much that I repeated it also. So now, I was two years taller 
than everyone else, you would think at some point I would want to be first in getting an A. I had equated being first as being the greatest. Now that you've had a little glimpse into me wanting to be first place, let's look at our text for today. We'll be reading out of Mark 9, 33 through 37 out of the Message Bible. Now I ask you to indulge me for a moment. Maybe while we read this passage, you try and picture in your mind the scene, the settings. I think it creates a picture when you can picture the characters in this story and you are able to observe what is happening as if you were there. So verse 33, they, Jesus and the 12, came to Capernaum. When he was safe at home, he asked them, what were you discussing on the road? The silence was deafening. They had been arguing with one another over who among them was the greatest. He sat down and summoned the twelve. So, you want first place? Then take last place. Be the servant of all. He put a child in the middle of the room. Then, cradling the little one in his arms, he said, Whoever embraces one of these children as I do embraces me, and far more than me, God who sent me. So in this passage, Jesus is explaining to you and I of what being greatest looks like with a kingdom mindset. So you could say Jesus had his work cut out for him. He was up against the cultural and social norms that were based on gender, age, and wealth. The 12 only knew of Jewish traditions and laws. For instance, the place of honor was at the head of the table and if you were an invited guest, you wanted to be seated to the right of the head of the table. So, when Jesus defi defines greatness in verse 35 as choosing to be last, not first, this must have sent shivers up their spines. Everything the 12 knew and understood about social status was surrounded by where you are placed in the community. Also in verse 35, he tells them that they must be a servant of all. That must have been a kick to the established manhood. I can picture a few eyebrows being raised. Servant was not a job you eagerly applied for. As a matter of fact, servant usually translated to slave. So the 12 probably were not pleased to hear this term being used as describing having greatness. The other blow to the cultural and social norms came out of verse 37. Jesus said to welcome the children in his name. They might have been thinking in their minds, children? What children? The 12 probably didn't give much thought to the children. Jesus knew that this was a concept that went against the cultural norms. So what does he do? He embraced a child. I wonder if that child even knew who it was that was actually holding him. Children were not well thought of until they reached the age of 12 or 13 when they could start being a productive member of the family. What is sometimes overlooked here is the little children term is also re uh, referred to as someone that may be a new believer. The teachers of the law thought themselves elevated because they knew more. 
Jesus even warned the 12 in verse 42 of the dangers of causing a child or new believer to stumble. If your Bibles are still open, let's look at verse 42. On the other hand, if you give one of these simple, childlike believers a hard time bullying or taking advantage of their simple trust, you'll soon wish you hadn't. You'd be better off dropping in the middle of the lake with a millstone around your neck. In this verse, he gives a warning, but what is being underlined here is the fact that this warning is what not to do, but in typical Jesus fashion, is telling them what to do. He is telling us in this passage to teach, encourage, mentor, disciple, love, and nurture children and new believers. Can you remember back to a time when you were a child or you became a new believer and a person took the time to be Jesus to you? You are called to do that for others. How does being a servant of all apply today? This is real simple. If you ever said, this is the woman's job, well then, grab the dish towel, change the diaper, pack the lunch, fold the laundry, cook dinner, clean house, and volunteer in children's ministry, just to name a few. Now ladies, if you thought this was a put up your feet and grab the remote message, you missed it. Seeing your man being the servant of all should compel you to walk alongside of him and be a servant to all also, as this is what Jesus instructed us to do. Now, as I suggested things for the men to do, I also have some suggestions for you to do when you say, that's a man's job. Grab the rake, operate the saw, hold the ladder without thinking about the life insurance policy, help with the oil changes, and if you are bold enough, offered to hold the flashlight. Remember, in Genesis, God created Adam, and then he created Eve to be his helper. That, to me, implies that they are codependent. So keep that in mind. What about putting others first? This is one of those acts of service that you have to work at. I believe is broader than just letting someone go in front of you. It's tied into being a servant of all. Servant of all is all about putting others first. What else can it be? Is it about putting the needs of the less fortunate above your own? Is it taking care of your parents when it would be easier to put them in the nursing home or hire a nurse? Kind of reminds me of Darlene. She travels to go take care of her mom and it's hours away and she has to stay there. She has to interrupt her life to take care of her mom and her sister is doing the same. So it kind of reminds me of that. Is it like my mom, when we were little, would go without so that we would not have to? Is it secretly getting a gift card for a coworker, an employee that might be struggling financially or they might just rub you the wrong way? Is it helping a coworker achieve something that you think you rightfully deserve? Church family, I believe the current world we are in is selfish. The worst part 
is this selfishness is encouraged on so many platforms. The selfishness or me-focused lifestyle has destroyed so much. Married couples have been ruined by one or both being me-focused that they've neglected each other's needs. So they went outside of the marriage to meet that need. If you are not currently focused on being last in your marriage, you need to save your marriage right now. Start putting their needs in front of your own. Now this is not just for married couples. If you are in a serious relationship that God has the way God intended it to be, you need to start practicing this of not being me focused uh, because habits are hard to break. And if you go into a relationship and you haven't identified that you have a me-focused attitude, it could be crippling your marriage down the road. Friendships have been ended because one person was always looking to be the one the relationship focused on. If you don't know how your friend is doing, you are probably the one that the friendship is focused on. Save your friendship. Start listening instead of talking. Employees at times get looked over at the workplace for promotions because they have a want first place attitude. If you want the promotion, put others first and see if being a team player gets you that promotion. The series we've been preaching on for the several weeks has been focused on hope. When we focus on others first, we can be that hope someone needs. They can see a difference in you and want to know why. They can see you are different but can't explain it and are compelled to ask you, why are you different? Well, folks, the door has been opened for you to step in and show them the hope that lies in Jesus Christ. When people we care about see a change in how we are and that we are now other-focused and no longer me-focused, can give them hope in restoring that relationship. If you heard this message today and feel God talking to you about your need to change how you are focused, I want to encourage you. You will feel awkward. You will have, question, you will have people questioning your motives, questioning your commitment, telling you it's too late. Well, the enemy will be ramping it up because you are a threat when you focus on others and desire to be the servant with a kingdom mindset. You will need to have people praying for you. You will need to be prayed up. The enemy attacks are real and he will strike from different angles. Be strong and again, partner up. When I say partner up, you need to have somebody in your life that you rely on as your prayer partner. You cannot go about this the wrong way and go about it the wrong way, or excuse me, alone. When you, like I, I, I just talked about, when you say, I want to be focused on others, the enemy now looks at you as a threat. So when, when I partner with Cindy and I say, there's an area in my life where I am me focused, will you pray with me? I have a partner. I have somebody that knows what that journey that I am about ready to take. So when I say be strong and partner up, that's what I'm talking about. And if you don't have someone in your life that you can pick up the phone 
and say, I need prayer, you need to find that person. You need to, hate to say it, pray about that person because God will put somebody in your life that you did not expect and they are going to be your prayer warrior. They will have a spot in your life that you didn't realize was empty and, that, and God provided someone to fill that up. So I'm going to leave you with two questions. What is the one thing in the upcoming week you can do to focus on others? Secondly, how are you going to show the love of Jesus by being the servant of all this week in the weeks to come? Because this is the lifestyle that Jesus called us to have. Pastor Jeff? Thank you, Andre. That was very timely. Um, we certainly live in a me-focused culture, don't we? And uh, if you were looking for a way to be salt and light to uh, those that aren't believers, then uh, that's an excellent place to start. I actually heard uh, some statistics this week that were pretty sobering. Well, and, and the one that really stood out to me was that I think for many of us who have been Christians for our, you know, most of our lives, or at least been around the church, uh, if not really committed uh, believers, but we've been in church and so forth, we have a tendency to think that <clears throat> most people are like us. Well, statistics that I heard this week from a very, very reliable source who has studies, uh, et cetera, to back it up, said at this point in our country, Christians are number about one in 10. I think many of us thought it was maybe one in three. One in 10. That means we're now very definitely the minority. Um, and so it's just something that I say to you that uh, hopefully will encourage you to Take the advice given in this passage to truly start to serve others so that you get the question that Andre spoke about. It's like, why, why are you doing this? You know, why would you choose to do that? Um, and then that's the door that's open for you to tell them why. So we're going to have uh, our, our time of communion now. Oh, one thing I wanted to mention before that, I, I should have said this earlier. On the backs of, if not the chair in front of you, the one that's beside you, you should see a little sticker. And it has a QR code on it. And what we're trying to do is to uh, provide a touchless way, if you want to call it that, to either fill out a connection card if you want to sort of find out more information about the church, if you want to submit a prayer request, or if you want to donate. Uh, you just can scan that with your phone and it'll take you to a little web page, and then you can make the selection as far as what you're going to do from there. So uh, you can also fill out a connection card the old-fashioned way if you want to. They should, there should still be some there. So uh, feel free to do that. So now let's, uh, let's go into our time of communion. Father, I thank you for, uh, for Andre's message today. Doing the things that uh, Jesus told his disciples were important in being the greatest are not easy. 
because we all have this innate desire for recognition and uh, fame. So Father, I just pray that you would give us the, the strength to deny ourselves of those things and to really focus on what it means to be the greatest in your kingdom. We know that you, in fact, lived those very values based on what you did for us on the cross. You were, in fact, the greatest, and you made yourself less than nothing to take our sins upon yourself that we might have eternal life. We are so grateful, Father, for the sacrifice of your son Jesus. And we recall that sacrifice now in this sacrament of Holy Communion. And we remember that on the night that Jesus was to be betrayed, he took bread and he asked his Father in heaven to bless it. And then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and he said, take this all of you and eat for this is my body given for you. And later on in the meal, he picked up a cup from the table, again asking his father to bless it. And this too he shared with his disciples and he said, take this all of you and eat for, or drink for this is the cup of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, blood that was shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of your sins. So whenever you eat of this bread or drink of this cup, do so and remember me. Lord, we thank you that we have this opportunity to remember you, that in this very simple meal of bread and of juice that we can recall the sacrifice that was made on our behalf. And so we ask you now that you would bless these elements, that you would make them to be for us your body and your blood. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. The body of Jesus given for you. And the blood of Jesus shed for you. Father, we magnify and bless your name. Help us, Father, to hear you more clearly as you guide and direct us. to be the instruments with which your kingdom is brought to this earth. We thank you for all of the love that you show us and the many blessings that you bestow upon us.
guide us and direct us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Pastor Chip. Amen. Just take a moment, wait on the Lord. Come, Holy Spirit. It's powerful. <laughs> Sound of a mighty rushing wind or a synthesizer, but whatever. <laughs> Amen. I do want to ask Cindy to come up. One thing we want to start doing, and if you have a testimony of a prayer that God has answered, you can come up too and share it um, now. But we do this ministry time every week, and we pray for people, and I just, sometimes I think you can go, and, and it seems like fr it's fruitless, but God really does answer. I know, um, she's not here right now, but Harry had said that she had, we had prayed for her during the service, and she'd gained, what, how much, a lot of her mobility back in her arm, she had told me, um, and James, someone else we prayed for, he, his back last week was healed instantly in the service. but So that's pretty amazing. But they're not here to share that, so I shared it. But Cindy was not here last week, and she can share kind of what happened with her. I just wanted to start by saying that um, when uh, Jeff started saying that he was going to make sure that our church was definitely built and based on prayer, I asked the Lord to show us, show us the fruit of that. I didn't realize one of them was going to be me. So last Sunday, I had to stay home because I had such a sinus infection. And when I was a kid, you didn't stay home from work or your school or church. You went, unless your arm was hanging off, you went to church. So for me to stay home, you know, I really felt horrible. So Andre went to church and he came home and I laid down to take a nap. And when I woke up and sat up, my face just completely started to drain. It was all swollen, it was all plugged, I couldn't breathe and it just drained. And my first thought was, oh, my church people were praying for me. And I know that God took care of that sinus infection and I wanna thank you all for that. You clap for that. That's a give God praise thing. The reason that, that I want to start doing this is because when you give a testimony, it's literally like asking God, hey, do it again. Do it for someone else. Does anybody else have anything else they want to share before we pray? Or is God just not really working in your life? <laughs> Amen. All right, well, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this group of people, Lord. Thank you so much for what you're doing in our church. Thank you so much for, for what you're doing in our lives. God, thank you for this timely message today. Like Pastor Jeff said, Lord, just we are living in such a time, Lord, where we're, things can just be so geared towards making us selfish. 
Lord, I thank you for Pastor Andre and just you giving that word to him. Father, I pray that you would speak to every person who watched online as well, Lord, that you would just help us get to a place, Lord, where it's about you and it's about others above ourselves. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you do have a prayer request, you know, I'll be up here. John will be, be up here as well. We'd love to pray for you. Um, we believe God will heal you, do whatever he needs to do in your life, whether that's physical, emotional, whatever. He'll do it. But have a great Sunday. God bless you. Amen.